Good morning. <clears throat> About two months ago, one of our elders, James Schaefer, sent around, sent around to all the other elders a calendar in which he had broken the book of James up into preachable units, and then we got to sign up to preach on whatever sections we wanted to. However, I made two mistakes. Number one, I knew the section on the tongue was in chapter four. So I didn't even turn to the book and look just to verify. Quick lesson, don't be so arrogant, Barry. <laughs> Second mistake I made was when I said, Lord, I would much rather listen to a sermon for 30 minutes on the tongue than read it for about 30 days once a day and prepare a message for it because then I'll get dinged every time I read it because we all fail when it comes to our speech, to how we use our tongue. And what I thought was God would go along with my plan. That's a mistake. So I signed up for chapter 3 confident that I knew what I was doing and I go one day to open it up and right away, right under James chapter 3 in my Bible, it says, the tongue, as a subheading. I thought for a half a second or something, somebody has switched these chapters around in my Bible. <laughs> but quickly, now I had to acknowledge that I signed up for the wrong thing. Now, so another mistake I made was thinking that what I want to work on in my spiritual life is automatically what the Lord wants to prioritize my working on in my life. I didn't want to do the tongue. Again, I, it's not that I'm great at it. No, I know we all sin with our speech. It's just I didn't want to deal with that at the time. I'd rather have dealt with some other things like maybe I'm not eating enough sugar or something. But... <laughs> So anyway, I signed up for the one passage I did not want to study, did not want to preach on, but here we are. Here we are. What we're going to find as we look in James 3, we're going to look at the first 12 verses, and James as a book has 108 verses in it, and it contains 54 commands. Those of you who are good at math realize 54 is exactly half of 108. So on average, you would expect to find a command about every other verse. Now, nobody writes that way, but on average, you would. So with a 12-verse passage, I thought, okay, five, six, seven, command, something like that. No, there are only three. And each of those is a bit subtle. In fact, the two, at a minimum, two don't have anything directly to do with our speech. Nor does James give us the answers for how to repair our speech. And it took me a while to realize that because I didn't so much want to keep getting dinged about what I was doing wrong. I wanted to learn what was right and start doing that. And what I found was it's not until chapter 4 that James talks about repentance. And he talks about it in a broad sense because that is what we need to do with every area of sin in our life. Repent. Turn to him in confession, 
acknowledging our wrongs, asking for his help and strength to work on the things that he wants us to work on instead of what we may want to do. Also, what we find in there is not so much, I said, not commands, but what we find are warnings. James gives warnings, not a lot of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. And I wonder, why would he handle it that way? And I think that, at least in part, one reason is that we tend to do a little bit better with warnings than we do with commands. Now, both are necessary, but what James is giving us here, and we'll see today, are warnings about how dangerous our speech, our tongue, can be. Our speech has the potential for great power, for a lot of good, but it also has just as much potential, maybe more, for bad, for evil, for putting people down, for complaining, griping, uh, making fun of. We all know that about the sins of the tongue, whether we want to admit it or not, we all know how dangerous our tongue can be. You know, your tongue can destroy your family. Absolutely. You want one method to destroy your family? Be a constant nag and and critic and making fun of this person or that. You want to destroy a church? Probably shouldn't say this, but you have the potential to destroy this church, any church you go into. And it all is hidden right here in our mouth. Just, uh, you can destroy your job. Just this past week, um, there was a guy who was kicked off of his college basketball team right before he hoped to go pro because of something that he said or that he had tweeted. This past week as well, a woman at the Dallas Morning News lost her job as a reporter because she had tweeted something to the mayor. And one word in there was enough to get her fired from her job. Some of you, maybe especially guys, may remember a few months back, this guy came on the stage in the football world, supposedly the greatest punter that there ever has been, but he never even got a chance because somebody found something that he had tweeted or texted that was very cruel and so that no team would even give him an opportunity. I want to tell, talk that. I want to show you one more thing about James. If you'll turn to your notes, if you look at the back, and you'll see this as we go through the verses in just a moment, but I've highlighted, not highlighted, but bolded several of the words here. The reason for that is James teaches with a literary technique called a chain, C-H-A-I-N, nothing real mysterious about it, but he uses some of the same words over and over. It's not that James had a very small vocabulary. No, he does this on purpose because he wants us to see connections between and among some verses. Let me just point out a few to start with. Look at verse 1. My brethren. Go down to verse 10. 
You see it again, my brethren. Go down to verse 12. My brethren. By the way, I'm using the New American Standard today um, because of something I'll try to remember to point out in a moment. Verse 2, stumble and stumble. Bridle and the whole body. Look at verse 3. We put bits into the horse's mouth. The word bits is literally bridle. We distinguish today between the bit and the bridle. They did not. They just called the whole contraption the bridle. So there's bridle again, direct, and the whole body. Verse 4, you see the word direct, as well as small, great, blah, blah, blah. You can spend some more time looking at these on your own because I did not bold each one of these, every single one. But I didn't want, because I didn't want to kind of wear you out or overwhelm you with it. But it's actually fun to go through James and find out these connections. There's another chapter in James, I'll let you discover for yourself, in which he does that in a very, very powerful way. <clears throat> so we need to understand that idea of change because we're going to see it over and over. Before we get to that right before, I wanted to say this. That in 1817, a British member of the parliament said that the possession of great power necessarily implies great responsibility. And about 200 years later, Spider-Man said what? With great power comes great responsibility. I've mentioned our tongues have so much power. And we need to be constantly diligent about that, ready, knowing that the responsibility for what we say obviously comes right back to us and only us. Okay, I wanted to point out James 1.19 as a little bit of an intro. He says there, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. See, James... Uh, uses those chains, but sometimes he even goes, skips a couple of chapters before he uses some of these words again. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. George Hornicle preached on that about three weeks ago or so. Abraham Lincoln once said, you can tell the greatness of a man by what makes him angry. Ooh, a lot of wisdom in that, isn't it? Going back to James, a few verses later, 26 and 27 of chapter 1. He says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, there's that word, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained, by the world. James says, your faith, my faith, is, is rubbish if we don't have some kind of control over our speech, over our tongue. And no, we don't get to kind of pick and choose which areas of our lives that we need to work on. Yes, we need to work on all of them all the time, but if you wanted to pick one that would probably make the biggest difference in your life, 
in the lives of others, it would be this, our speech or our tongue. Okay, James chapter 3, verse 1. We'll start there. He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment or scrutiny. You know, um, Christelle, you printed all the verses out, but I did not print them in mine. So I'm going to have to read here just a second. In verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits or bridles into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Then he gives another illustration, verse 4. Behold, ships also... Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, nevertheless they are still directed, excuse me, still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, people, who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send forth from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. I've mentioned before, no real commands here as far as what to do with our tongue. It's kind of strange that James ends this section this way. But we'll look at it a little bit more as we go on. Chapter 3, verse 1, this very first verse is a command. He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, because knowing as such that we will incur a stricter judgment or a stricter scrutiny. In the days of Jesus, in the days of Paul, and in the days of James, in fact, both in Judaism and in early Christianity, teachers were very highly regarded. In Judaism, the rabbis were, people would cross the street just to greet them. People would sometimes shout their name or their, the fact that they were there. That's the kind of um, fame or popularity that they had. And as you can imagine, that would be hard for most people 
to deal with and still remain humble when you're constantly lifted up to that extent. There were people who were starting in the young church, young Christian church, and they too wanted to be not Jewish rabbis, but the equivalent in the church, which was teachers. And the only model they had was the rabbis. So they wanted to take upon themselves the same kind of responsibility of a rabbi, but also they were expecting all the accolades as well. In their letters, well, Jesus dealt with it in the Gospels. Paul dealt with it. Peter dealt with it. James dealt with it. Jude dealt with it. John dealt with it. Unfit teachers and teachers who were teaching error or false gospels even. God holds teachers to a higher, stricter scrutiny. James says, so if you want that position, the position of a teacher, never forget the tremendous responsibility that goes with it. And that one day there will be, so to speak, a final exam. But not just for teachers, for all of us. Romans 14, 12 reminds us that so then each of us, and Paul is talking about believers here, each of us will give an account of himself to God. That whole area is one I think we, we don't preach enough on. I almost never hear anyone talk about it. But yes, there will be a final exam, so to speak, where we give an account for what we've done in this life on behalf of, of Christ. Not salvation or not salvation. It's, that's already been handled. We won't go through the great white throne of judgment like at the end of Revelation. But this is an evaluation or a judgment based on how we have lived our Christian lives. What we have done with what we have been given. <clears throat> Verse 2 helps, us explain, helps explain why teachers will be more strictly scrutinized. And that is... For we all stumble, which means sin, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Teachers will be judged more strictly, James says, because teachers use their tongue, their mouth, their speech. And basically, the more you talk, the higher the opportunity you have for messing up, for saying something mean, for maybe cracking a joke that someone doesn't realize is a joke, and they take it personally. They're very wounded by. I've um, taught classes before when I thought the class went very, very well. Maybe talking to someone in the class right after it, and I say something, and as soon as I say it, I think, boy, that was stupid. And... I can't help but imagine that their impression of me and maybe their impression of the entire lesson now took a few notches down all because of something dumb that I had said. We all stumble in many ways. He says if a person does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect. He's able to bridle the whole body as well. James is not saying that if you control the tongue, then nothing else matters. Now, he's saying if you could perfectly control the tongue, which, again, none of us can, but if you could, then since you will have controlled the most difficult part of life, 
then all these other impulses and drives will be that much easier to control. However, keep in mind verse 2, the very first words, we all stumble in many ways. And I think it's interesting that James does not say you all stumble. He puts himself right in the same class with the rest of us. We stumble with our thoughts. We stumble with our actions. We have temptations and enticements from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. And we're going to see in a few more minutes that in one sense, even our, the tongue itself can be motivated by the devil. Some of our thoughts, some of our words, we may not even realize it, but they are much more in line with what the devil would want us to say than what Christ would want us to say. James's point is that if we're going to stand before other believers and attempt to represent Jesus Christ, and attempt to represent the faith described in the bottle in the Bible that we have an immeasurably high responsibility. And I want to challenge myself and elders and everyone, especially those who teach adults, because this would have been the context in which James was writing to, realize what a heavy, real responsibility this is. Realize that you can say 99 good things and one insult or whatever will perhaps destroy a lot of the good that you thought you had just done. I'm going to get into verse 3 in just a moment. I want to invite Kim uh, McFarland to come up and show us demonstrate a little bit about a bridle as she comes. I want to just say Proverbs 10, 19 tells us this. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. When words are many, he's saying you basically can't help but say something wrong somehow, sometime. Maybe you use the wrong tone of voice. But when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Kim, tell us a little bit about the bridle. Well, many of you know that I've spent years with horses. And some of you yourself have spent time with horses. And they're beautiful creatures, but they do have a mind of their own. And the only way we can communicate with them is through the bridle. Um, this is considered um, the bit, and that goes in their mouth. Way we communicate with them is through the reins. So they are massive animals, most of them. And if you can control them with the bit in their mouth, connected to the reins in your hands, then you can get them to do what you want them to do most of the time. I mean, it depends on how well they're trained, but that's where they start. So you connect the bit to the head through the bar idle, and then you communicate with them through the okay? All right. Thank you very much, Kim. Verse 3 says, if we put, yeah, oh. If we put the bits or bridles into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, 
we direct their entire body as well. Kim just said that. Can move a thousand pound horse, get it to go in whatever direction you want, all by that little metal piece and what it's connected to. Verse 4. Here's the second command. Look. Look at the ships also. That word look is a command. I said that it's, it's kind of surprising what James did make out, a command out of. He's commanding us to think about the illustrations he's giving. Look at the ships also. Behold is actually the word, though a lot of times our English translations don't use that word anymore. But James means stop, slow down, consider, think about what I'm about to say. It says, the ships, although they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder. Wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Again, the big principle is the same. Something very small, a bit. Now a rudder can direct something much, much larger. That's the big idea so far that James wants us to get. Something small can dictate the direction of something much, much larger. So up to this point, he's been giving us real warnings, but you know what he hasn't mentioned? He hasn't mentioned the tongue yet. Not in the first four verses. It's only when he gets to verse 5 that he talks about it. By the way, the average person's tongue is between three inches and three and one-fourth inches long. I, that's not much variation. I thought I knew people in school who you know, <laughs> could touch their nose or their chin. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, in modern times, the longest tongue measured is like 3.9 inches long. Again, I, I thought it was... Five, six, seven. <laughs> the tongue, is it a muscle or an organ? According to Dr. Google, it is a muscular organ. And in fact, it's made up of eight different muscles that all have to work together. This one I thought was kind of wild. On average, a human tongue has between 3,000 and 10,000 invisible taste buds. Not the ones we can see, but up to 10,000 invisible taste buds you can only see with a microscope. Finally, something we all could, can't wait to hear, your tongue can get fat. <laughs> At a certain point, if you keep putting on weight, your tongue has some fat in it, and that amount of fat will also increase. Uh, we'll leave that one alone. Verse 5 says, so also the tongue is a small part of the body. Again, remember, he's talking about the small directing the large. Here's his application. The tongue is small compared to the size of the body, and yet it boasts great things. The tongue can accomplish a lot of things. It can accomplish a lot of good things. It can also accomplish a lot of bad, and he's going to start talking about that in the latter part of verse 5. Before he does, though, some of you remember World War II. 
And some of you may have heard the speeches that Winston Churchill gave to England, to the United Kingdom, rallying his people, getting them to stay committed to the battle, to the war against the Axis powers, which they finally, with the help of the U.S., won. Some of you have heard speeches from Martin Luther King Jr. trying to convince our nation that to look beyond skin color, to fight hatred with love. I certainly cannot match his, his oratory skills, but he did say this. We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. Uh, powerful, powerful words. And in fact, the entire Bible is called what? The Word of God, because it contains the words from him that he wanted to give to mankind. Just as Churchill and Martin Luther King Jr. could affect large audiences, the Bible has affected, multiplied millions of people throughout history and is still doing so today. Second part of verse 5 says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. We know that flame, perhaps an inch tall, could burn a thousand acres 10,000 acres if it goes unchecked. Just that little bit of a flame is all it takes. One of the worst years for fires in America occurred just a few years ago, and I was astonished to read the amount of land, forestry, and other brush that was burned, the amount of land that was affected was equivalent to the size of Maryland and Delaware combined. Now, that was a terrible year. Thankfully, they got things much better under control. But a little flame has burned, actually a lot of little flames, but they wound up burning an area the size of Delaware and Maryland. That's how powerful and that's how destructive just a small flame can be. But James isn't giving us lessons on pyrotechnics. He's not teaching us how to be firefighters. He wants us to apply that lesson to our tongue, to our speech, and to realize just as a fire can, can get started and go out of control, sometimes some of the things we say, once we say them, we know. We can't take them back. We can't undo it. And sometimes that stays with a person for years potentially with their entire life. Some of you can think words that were spoken to you, perhaps by parents, perhaps by teachers or fellow students, and they still linger in your mind and they still hurt. James is trying to warn us that, guys, we have got to take our speech seriously. So he says in verse 6, and verse 6 is basically the crescendo, the high point. He says, and the tongue is a fire. It's capable of great devastation. He says, it's the very world of iniquity. 
it can unleash all kinds of sin and evil in our lives, in the lives of others. Thirdly, he says, the tongue is set or situated among our members is that which defiles or corrupts. There, that word from chapter 1 is again, that defiles or corrupts the entire body. The tongue can corrupt, or other versions use the word stain, or defile the whole body. Now, when James uses the word body here, he doesn't simply mean our outer shell. He means our life. Just as in Romans 12, 1, we're told where Paul says to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Paul doesn't literally mean your body, body. That's part of it. But he means you, yourself. And that's what James is saying here, that our tongue can corrupt, defile our entire life. Some of you may know people who probably don't have many friends because they say everything that comes to their mind. Well, that's not wise at all. And that is a great way to lose friends and family. Fourthly, says the tongue sets on fire the entire, the whole course of one's life. Again, a similar idea that the tongue can essentially take over your reputation. Words you say, things you have said, attitude, your tone of voice, all of that can essentially mark you in a certain way that people will always think of these negative things when they see you. Lastly, he says it's set on fire by hell. We are constantly bombarded by temptations that want to influence our speech for evil. And let's never forget, we are always fighting against the world, against the flesh, and against the devil. You know, I'm not sure there's a a worse indictment of anything else in the scriptures than the, what James is saying here about the tongue, about our speech. Verses 7 and 8, the tongue re- reveals our rebellion. It says, Every species of birds, of beasts, animals and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed, better word is subdued, by the human race. But no one can tame or subdue the tongue. Here it is again. As evil as it is, and as much as we try, and we should try, but we can never relax because we never have perfect control of, our, of what comes out of our mouth. It says it's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. When James says every animal has been tamed, he means, again, subdued. What he means is we can trap animals, we can catch them, we can hunt them. In that sense, we have superiority over them. But we cannot control or tame our tongue. We should try. We shouldn't give up. But we need to realize we are going to say things that we never even think or thought that would ever come out of our mouths. I've been, you know, thinking about this, working on this for the last 30 days or so, and just being blunt with you, I've said some of the worst things in these last 30 days to my family 
that I think I've ever said. And I keep kind of smacking my forehead. How could I let that come out of my mouth? I'm thinking about this stuff day and night. And yet, without, without being consciously aware, maybe it's my tone of voice. Maybe it's my words. And I don't go too far with that. It's not like I, I you know, did something humongously horrible. But I never was aware of a lot of what I say and how it sounds until I began to focus more on this. James says the tongue is like a, is restless. It's like a roaring lion um, or like a lion seeking its prey. A lion is restless. It, it just kind of can't rest until it gets what it wants. And he says the tongue is full of poison. What a picture. What a picture. Would you poison intentionally your spouse? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Would you intentionally poison your children or your parents? And yet, we can. We do. Finally, verses 9 through 12, the tongue compromises our confession. He says, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men or people who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. He's not talking about cussing. Cursing, denigrating, putting people down, making fun of, insulting. Out of that same mouth Come blessing and cursing. And so he says, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Verses 11, 12 developed the same point, basically. But let me focus back on verses 9 and 10. Look at that. Look at the logic he has. We use our mouths to praise our Savior. And we did that 30 minutes, maybe an hour ago before I started, but we all had an opportunity to, from our heart, use our mouths to praise the Lord, to thank Him, to pray to Him, and yet we can use that same mouth to put down, and get this, to put down not just anybody or anything, but people who are made in the image of God. We've praised God, thanked God, and now we're saying, God, the highest thing that you ever created, the only species that can relate to you, I'm going to insult. Your image is on these people. I praise you, but I insult your image. Would we do that? I don't think we are really taking as seriously, and I did it until I read through these verses. And like I say, I've gotten dinged every day since then. But I want to close with just these two verses. We bless our Lord, and yet we curse or denigrate people with the same mouth. And I like how James ends it. He simply says at the end of verse 10, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. So if you take anything out of here today, at least take 
the lesson in verses in yeah verses nine and ten that think that would you really want God to hear you, see you insulting His image? I don't think so, and I think deep down it's not what we want. But we totally need His help to control our speech. Let's pray. Our Father, we admit, we confess that we are so, so far from your standard that it's so easy to say the wrong thing. And Lord, we just ask that by your help, the words of our mouths, the meditation, the thoughts of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. When they're not acceptable, Father, make that very clear to us. And Lord God, set a guard over our lips. Keep watch over our mouth. Again, Father, to the end that you will be glorified by our speech. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.